Hi, and welcome to the Green with Tiffany podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Page. And in this show, we'll explore topics of sustainable living, all aspects of health and wellness of people and planet, and how we're all interconnected. Join us on this journey to live better and more sustainably by improving our health, our families, and the world with the choices that we make. Hi, and welcome to the Green with Tiffany Choose to Care podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Page. And, you know, this is the first time I'm using Choose to Care in the title of my podcast. I have that as my hashtag, and it really is the reason why I do what I do, because the people I like to speak to have really chosen to care deeply about what they do and why they do it. And couldn't be a better person to start this off with than with today's guest, Laura Greer. Hi, Laura. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. So she has coined the Indiana Jones of travel photography. I love this nickname. Uh, (laughs) She is a travel and wedding photographer, a multi-entrepreneur, and the co-founder of the sustainable hat brand, Indiana Hats. As you can see, if you're watching this, we're both wearing them. So we'll talk more about that, of course. And then living abroad. This is so interesting when I found this out. Growing up with two CIA parents, yes, we're going to definitely do a little bit of my, that's something I didn't know about you. And so, of course, that would make sense then that you have this life of travel and adventure and exploration uh, and that you've made it a profession, but not in the CIA, uh, but as a photojournalist for 22 years. And Laura has photographed on all seven continents. And well, while she was working uh, at the National Geographic in Peru is where Laura fell in love with the culture and the people and the artisans. And that is where Indiana Hats uh, was born with her uh, partner, co-founder, Pats Krisiak. And she was recently awarded a Social Impact Award for 2022 by The No, a global media company and community that's dedicated to amplifying the voices of women leaders executives and entrepreneurs. So I welcome you, Laura Greer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for that intro. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So Laura, I had met before. She's here in Southern California with me. And uh, recently there was a pop-up of uh, in one of the boutiques that she has her hats. And, you know, I, I saw her speak. She told the story behind it and was so passionate about it and was so knowledgeable and spoke so well about the the community and the culture and just the artisans that are there. I was just so inspired. I wanted to know more. So, of course, I got a hat. And now we're going to we're going to dive a little bit deeper with how Andy and hats started and and why you're so passionate about it. So take it away. So you were in Peru and you'd been there multiple times or how did like a hat business come about from this? I know it's so weird. If you'd talked to me a few years ago, I've been like, you're going to have a hat business. I would have been like, (laughs) that's crazy. Um, I've been traveling down to Peru for about 15, 16 years shooting for National Geographic, National Geographic's artisan catalog, Navica. And so they represent artisans around the world doing vanishing crafts and they help basically give them global marketplaces to sell their goods and to help 
get their communities out of poverty. And I mean, they're helping a lot of women, but families met all over the world. And so Peru happens to be one of their hubs. And so I was just already going down there for years and falling in love with the culture. Um, I feel like I must've been Peruvian in a past life or something. I don't know. It's one of those places where I can just keep going back to and never get bored. And I'm always discovering new things. But I, I was obsessed with the hat culture because in Peru, every village you go to has a different style hat. And you can tell by the type of hat someone wears where they're from, if they're married or single, or they've got children, or if they're widowed, they're important, um, and where they're from. So I just thought that was so fascinating that your hat was like a cult, not only a cultural symbol, but a status symbol. And as a photographer, I started doing a, an actual like photo portrait series of different women from all the different villages. So that was how my like hat obsession sort of started. I already had a hat obsession. I was already wearing a hat every time I traveled and took photos, which is why I was called like the Indiana Jones of photography because of my hat, because I'm doing adventure photo shoots around the world. And so I had already had a hat obsession, but then it went way deeper with this photo story I did. And then as I was traveling around, I was like, these hats need to be shared with the world. They're so amazing. And my girlfriend who lives in Peru, who's now my business partner, Pat's, um, we were on a hike one day and she was like, I could help you get these hats to the US. Like I, I live here in Peru. We could set up an export company. Like I could work with the artisans here and you could do be front facing in LA. And so that was kind of how the idea was born while we were on a hike in Peru. And I just was so obsessed in photographing every hat that I saw. And I still, by the way, I've been down to Peru 15, 16 times and I'm still will stop and be obsessed with like shooting any of the hats that I see. They're so fabulous. Like they, some women wear giant top hats. They're out in the field, like tending to their cows, like wearing a top hat. And, and um, they're just really unique and fabulous. It's so amazing that the hats themselves are their own language, right? Mm -hmm. what, what they describe to people. And this this hat that I'm wearing is kind of very Indiana Jones, right? What's this it one is. called? I like that one. That's the camel <laughs> one. And you're wearing the happiness intention band. So we um, started this idea of having different removable bands on the hats. Um, and they all mean something different. So they're they're woven by Quechua artisans in Peru who are the descendants of the Inca people. And they their language is actually woven and it's not a written language. So all of these designs are have been passed down for centuries in the Inca culture and they all have different meanings. Some of them are historical um, meanings. Some of them are just ideas brought from nature. Like the one I'm wearing, which is one of my favorites is the river, which is Mayu in uh, Quechua. And our band means purpose. And the reason why a river means purpose to so the Quechua is that a river always flows in one direction. It might change course along the way, but it always ends up where it's meant to be. And so a lot of times they'll use like a natural metaphor like that to explain an idea because there's not necessarily a word in their language for purpose, you know? So um, we actually have to work with the Quechua scholar to figure out the meanings behind some of their designs because you know, with the, you know, we have people that can like do the language translations, but there isn't necessarily e even words. And even though I speak Spanish pretty well, they speak Quechua. So it's like, we still need a translator and we need um, someone who can explain their designs to us. Is it similar, the language to Spanish? Not at all. Not at all. It's like, yeah. I mean, but a lot of the women do speak Spanish, which helps. Um, they've just had to learn it because everyone in Peru speaks Spanish, but um yeah, no, they're they're not remotely, you know, uh, that was the 
the language that was there way before the the Spaniards came. So, and they have a lot of different uh, dialects and stuff like that too. Now here we are with these intention bands. So what is my intention band? I think yours is happiness and all those little dots that you see on there um, represent people, community and family members. So to them, when we asked the women, um, like, what is your idea of happiness? And that's what they said was being surrounded by community. I mean, um, in their culture, if if a woman has a baby, like the whole, uh, village helps to raise it, It, you know, like everything is done together. The women are very communal and the men are usually out, you know, working in the fields or doing other things. So the women are the ones that are kind of like holding down the fort and, and running the families. They're, they're the matriarchs. They're very powerful in, in a lot of ways in their culture. I feel that you bring that as well, because Laura, I'm sure you help empower the women there as what they're doing with the hats and the intention bands. But here in the U.S., you do that as well. You bring all these women together. There was a quote that I had posted once, and it said, empowered women empower women. And I love it. And I really do believe, I feel that you do that because you're just so pro-women in trying to help in all aspects to bring people together in community, to kind of trade ideas or help or help support in any way you can. And so anyway, I thank you for well, that. Well, thank you. No, it's funny. I, I've i chosen in my life to, you know, I'm 43 years old to not have children. And I have eight nieces and nephews and I, and I love being an auntie, but I feel like, you know, my maternal, I guess, instinct in my life is really like what you said is like doing these groups and, um, women's entrepreneurial meetups. I have so many things that we host at, in my house at any given day. Like we had a sound bath yesterday for a girlfriend who's about to go into surgery today. And we had like a whole group come together and do a meditation and we'll do, you know, just parties here and pop-ups here and like the women's groups and all the things. And for me, it's, um, you know, instead of raising a child or two, I'm going to maybe hopefully influence a lot more children and women and other places. And that will be my legacy, I guess. It's just a different kind of way. And it's funny because I remember when I was like getting in my late thirties and I was like, didn't know if I was going to have kids or not. Um, someone had said to me like, you know, your, your legacy doesn't have to be you birthing a child. It could be, you could help many other children in different ways. And I just, I remember that kind of stuck with me. And so, um, I'm, I'm a feminist, but not like in an angry anti-man sort of way. I'm just sort of like a, I think that women, there's a lot of women, which I'm, I don't surround myself with women that are super catty or anything, but believe it or not, like there's so many women that I hear from my friends that are in the corporate world that just tear each other down and, and really don't help each other. And it, it just is shocking to me because I feel like, I feel like we have our own little community and tribe here where we're all using our gifts and helping each other out. And it's, that's how it should be. Absolutely. Or they're very threatened. And so they don't want to open up and give any, but yeah, I hear you with that. But I think what you put out, you do attract as well. And I think that you have are surrounded by incredible women, basically all over the world, because you've got Peru with uh, these hats. And then you also have in Guatemala as well, right? Yeah. And our goal is to work with many, many more groups with the, um, the Quiche artisans in Guatemala make all of our straw hats, which or behind me kind of on the floor. You can't really see them that well, but they're all hand-woven palm hats. And then um, we are now just starting to work with Huichol artisans in Mexico, these women that do these incredible beaded necklaces, but they're also hat necklaces. And so we're excited to be working with them too. So our idea is just keep on expanding our 
different communities that we work with. Amazing, especially with this type of crafts that if you're on your the Andiana website, if you go to it, um, it's Andiana Hats, you can see, I mean, it's just so colorful anyway, all the beautiful photos of all over, pictures all over. Um, but the the main, one of the main photos is these women with these sort of unusual hats. I don't know if those would go over so well here. <laughs> um, but they're uh, very Because <laughs> I feel like the bigger, it's just getting bigger. Like I'm going to start wearing a sombrero one day. I don't, they just keep getting bigger. They're very colorful and pretty and very much a part of their culture. But you can also see how they make these bands and the woven, the way they weave them. And it's so interesting. And it's made from uh, apaca and llama. And and they're just amazing and so intricate. And, you know, you call them these vanishing arts. And it would be such a shame if these didn't get carried on. Do, Do you find that they are carried on there? Or do you find it really is sort of taking a step back? Um, It's funny because the Quechua culture is considered a vanishing culture, but then there's a lot of ways that it is surviving. Like right now there's a Quechua teenager rapper that's up for a Grammy and she raps in Quechua and Quechua just got um, recognized by uh, Google Translate as a language. And, you know, so there's all these ways that it's being preserved, which is really cool. Um, And I, I, yes, it is a dying art where like a lot of these communities, if you go, I mean, I've gone way deep to some of these villages where the, um, you know, you can't even like get there by road at times. And then I'll be, I'll spend the day there. And all of a sudden when the teenage girls runs out and underneath all of her woven skirts, she like whips out her cell phone and asks me if I have an Instagram page. I was like, what's like, you know? And so I think the, the teenage girls are able to hike into like the cities and they're, they're getting exposed to media and they don't necessarily want to like sit in the village and weave all day, or there's not necessarily a, um, like a future for them in it because they weren't finding a way to make money at it. But we are finding now that companies like myself and other companies that are working with these women's groups that um, if we're giving them income opportunities, then their daughters are like, I want to be a you know, badass weaver like my mom and, um, and they're proud of their heritage. And so that's what we're kind of like hoping to do. It's really about just giving them opportunities. Like, and we're not like teaching them skills other than business skills and being able to connect like digitally and things like that. But I mean, the weaving skills and everything they all know, but one of the projects that we want to do with our nonprofit that we're launching this year, my mission, um, is that we want to bring weaving back as a curriculum into their school systems there. Um, So then they can actually get like a certification of weaving um, and then like be able to get jobs with real brands and like actually work out in um, the marketplace and, and make it where it's not just something that they sit at home and do. It could be like a real career for them. And really expand that. And then more people will want to do it because they can see that they can make a good living from that. So that's all. And you have a fair trade practice there with what the women that you work yeah, with? Yeah. So all of our uh, weaving groups in Peru are fair trade and we pay them per centimeter um, of their work. And we work, you know, like a lot of the proceeds and everything. I'm going to say proceeds. Their partners is, it isn't a charity. We, we're a for-profit business. We work in partnership with the artisans. They get paid first. They set their wages. They set their... Um, hours, everything. Like we work on their schedule. We don't disrupt their life. Like everything about the groups that we work with is based around preserving their way of life and their culture. So we're, we're really um, 
aware of, you know, they're not employees that we like have on the clock from like nine to, you know, it's not like that. And so we have to understand there's times where things take a lot longer. It is extremely slow fashion, I like to call it, um, <laughs> which I think is super trending right now. And it, it should just be the way it is. Like it, like it shouldn't be disposable clothing being produced in China that's going to end up in a landfill, you know? No, it's um, such a special piece. And the hats themselves, this is, you get these there as well, or where do these come from? So the hats are all made in Peru. Um, we did just travel to Bolivia to meet with a whole other group of artisans that also can produce the hats so we can have more than one production area because it's just too much demand for one set of artisans to do. Um, our weavers are all over the Sacred Valley in multiple, many different communities. Um, so no, no two bands will ever be the same because they're woven by hundreds of different women. And then um, our palm hats are made in Guatemala. So we're expanding along the Andes Mountains. I mean, which is why we named it Andiana Hats. It's like the Indiana Jones of the Andes Mountains. So um, that was where the name came from. And such it's a funny great name. Like, yeah, well, thank you. I, we thought about it while we were hiking and I just was like, God, that'd be such a pretty hat name, hat company name. But it's funny, I get to use all of my skill sets, like my photography, you know, you mentioned all the photos. I do all the imagery for our social media and our website. And, um, you know, I get to go on the sourcing trips and do all the passions that I love, which is travel and exploration and working with women and photographing and fashion. And so it's kind of like all of these um, passions sort of woven together, no pun intended, but that's, you know, that's why I love it is so that I still get to do everything I love to do. Isn't that when it becomes so successful is when you get to use your gifts and put it all together to create something else. Yeah. I love that. And then the, your logo is actually cool too. It looks like the mountains, the way it's mm -hmm. shaped. And so it's really cool. I actually found, speaking of intention setting, I, I, I write all over, I don't have like one journal I write in, but I've been doing all kinds of like journaling, intention setting. And I found all these different journals like squirreled away in my apartment when I was cleaning over the holidays. And I found the journal entry of when I first came up with the idea for the hat company. And at the top of the page, I just finished hiking in Peru. I drew the scribble of the mountains with Andy and I drew the idea for the logo that like, came to me. And I was like, I will start this hat company that's going to help many women and blah, blah. And I wrote this whole like intentional uh, post, which I completely never re like remembered doing. And it's really cool now that I look back a couple of years later and I'm like, oh my God, that's our logo. And like, we actually did it. And, you know, this was how a journal entry and now it's like a real thing, you know? So. How amazing and a perfect example. And so how it mimics, you know, the intention that you put out there to create it. And then it created these intention bands as well. So that's uh, kind of special. So the Kichwa people, it is a tight, it is a culture of people as well as a language. It has to be a big enough language that Google now recognizes yeah. it right yeah it is a culture um they are the descendants of the inca people but it is also the name of their language as well um but yeah i mean they're they're centuries old they've been living off the land in the mountains um for many years and it's funny because i think um you know people always ask you like why should we care about people far away and what like the quechua culture or preserving it or like you know why does it matter and it's funny that there's a lot of, you know, I think ancient knowledge in general is really, really important to preserve because they're the most connected to the planet. They're the most, their knowledge of how to grow food, how to preserve the land, how to weave, 
things, how like, like they're no waste where they're, you know, they don't use plastic. They're weave their own bags if they need to carry something, you know, like their, their ways of life are what we will have to do to, in order to save our planet. Like, honestly, and even like a lot of, like you've heard about all like the seed banks and um, all these scientists are going out. And now that like the temperatures of the earth are, are rising, a lot of plants can't survive. And they're trying to find ways to, you know, make our plants survive in hotter conditions. And they're going down to Peru to like learn from the from the Quechua people about how they preserve all these different types of species of potato and like different plants that can survive all these different climates. And it's because they've just been farming using ancient techniques and um, terracing their fields and not like stripping the land and not doing all of the, you know, genetically modified stuff. So I, they're now scientists are going back to the Quechua people and borrowing seeds and knowledge from them to like save our current situation on the planet. So it's interesting that, you know, even though they're not considered the most technologically advanced culture, that their knowledge is probably what's going to end up helping us. And I, I feel that way about sustainability too. Like we're going to learn a lot from them. So, and not just, it's a beautiful culture. It's a spiritual culture, but I think their knowledge is really, they were just very tapped into mother earth. It's just about going back to basics. What we had, mm -hmm. they just never expanded and went into the full modern society. They yep. kept it to where it is. And, but you know, we have to kind of go back, roll it back a little with baby steps. So, all right, I have to get into a little bit, a little bit of these CIA parents of yours. How did it, <laughs> I'm watching Jack Ryan. I'm watching the old man. It's all this like CIA stuff. And, and so, I mean, how can you even talk about it? Are you, <laughs> I can talk about it because both my parents are retired and, okay. um, and I worked there, but I'm not working there now. So, you know, I put it in my bio, my mom got really pissed off at me for doing that, but I was like, mom, I, what's the point of working there if you can't like say that you work there I don't know I mean, <laughs> I'm like living in a culture where I post everything I do my mom is so anti every type of social media internet whatever but well, that's she probably lived yeah. so long like you know incognito yeah. without having anybody know anything oh so. yeah they're super paranoid not in like a, a crazy way but they're like they just they still speak on the phone with me in a way that's like guarded like they don't say certain proper nouns like they won't tell me exactly where they are <laughs> like, that is fascinating you know, it's really it was always been like that um I mean I didn't know what they did for a living until I was about 16 yeah till a year before I went to college and wow and all of That's... my sisters um knew and I didn't know I was the last one to find out and they all worked there so there was one point in my life that all three of my sisters my dad my mom and my stepdad all were working at the CIA and I was the only one who didn't know <laughs> my family. so you were a real family yeah I mean it wasn't like some kind of like setup no. <laughs> okay <laughs> no but I did find out by the way every time I go home I, I find out more and more information of like things that my parents were doing in the 90s when I didn't know where they were or what they were doing. And um, I did find meet this guy recently who was a friend of my mom's that used to travel as my mom's alias husband with her um, on some of her more dangerous journeys in Central America in the 90s. She was working in like drug cartel stuff. And um, so I was like, wait a minute, mom. So you had a fake husband, CIA husband. You had a real husband and then a CIA that worked at the CIA. And then you have an ex-husband that worked at the CIA at the same time. I'm like, what the heck is that? She's like, yeah, I guess I did. That's why. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was like, why is mom not at my basketball game? She's like dealing with stuff in Columbia. I, I honestly just didn't know. And there's like, where's mom? She's on a trip. We, what did, never told us. What did, what did you think she did? What did you think your parents did? 
I mean, my parents said that they worked for the State Department, which I don't think anybody knows exactly what people at the State Department do, but that was their cover. So I knew that they had a government job, but I never, you know, I guess when you're a teenager, you don't really like ask a lot of questions. You're like, cool, I'm just going to go off and play soccer with my friends and mom's eye here. Great. Like, you know, I don't know. It's I, for me, I just had a very autonomous upbringing where my sisters and I were home a lot without parents and had to just kind of figure it out and get to school and get to our jobs and our soccer games. And we would just stay at friends' houses and they would drive us. And I don't know, we just lived a very um, independent lifestyle at a young age, which is probably the why I'm the way I am right now. But I, just, I honestly just didn't think much of it. And, you know, and so I've, I mean, the way I found out, it's actually crazy. I I was, um, I did a bad thing and I had a fake ID made as all my sisters were like going to Georgetown University and they were all going dancing at night. So I would go meet my sisters in DC when they were in college and go out dancing with them. Anyway, my mom found my fake ID and confiscated it. So I was like, okay, well, she, there's no way she destroyed it. It's gotta be in her closet somewhere. So I went rummaging through her closet one day and that's when I found like six of my mom's alias IDs and credit cards. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. You have a ton of fake IDs. What are you talking about? (laughs) I was like, wait a minute, mom. Like what is going on here? And so she's like, ah, you're going to have to find out anyway, because you're going to have to work there. And I was like, what? So that was how I found out that basically uh, they all worked there and that I was going to have to work there all through college. Yeah. It's just wild. (laughs) What, that's just a wild story. I don't think I've ever. And did so? Did you did you travel with them, or did you were you no. in one place? No, no, no. I mean, the only time I knew what they were working on was when I I had clearance, like secret clearance, and I I worked there and I could pop into their offices at the time. But we were never. I don't think my parents ever actually traveled with each other, except for when they were living overseas. Okay. Yeah. So then, your love of traveling, or and especially cultures like in Peru, where did that come from? Then you just. Oh, love for it. sure. My pa- I mean, we, the first four years of my life, I, we, my dad was stationed in Jakarta, Indonesia. So I grew up in Indonesia and um, one of my sisters was born in Brazil and the other two, you know, like they just lived all over the world. So we were traveling a lot at a young age and yeah, I, I absolutely think there's part DNA, part just learned behavior. We were exposed to many different cultures and foods at a young age. And I don't know think that made us as like open-minded and adventurous as we are all my sisters two of my sisters live in Europe and we were scattered all over so do you now you travel a lot now still right yeah and are you doing your photography still or is the hats taking more you know precedent? that's so funny my photography is my number one it's my main business it's still my bread and butter I do it all the time I think you know I shoot destination weddings and I shoot events and I do fine art pieces and um, I do travel writing and all that kinds of stuff, but I think the hats, because it's so new and needs to be, um, I'm like raising a little baby right now. I have to put so much time and energy into it. I'm probably putting, you know, even time into it as my photography, even though my photography is my, you know, is my livelihood, but, um, but I still do a ton. Like today I had to do photo shoots like most of the day for the hat company, you know, so I'm still like working for both, you know, at the same time. And so you've, you know, you have to go visit Peru. Well, your partner's there. So you have her there, but then you've got Guatemala and now you're expanding in these other areas. How often do you have to travel around and check in on things? I mean, I wish I could go even more, but I'm usually going down like three times a year down there and at least once a year to the other areas. Um, We are, you know, launching trips to go down there because I was like, we might as well make it 
a thing. If I've got to go down there for work, um, we might as well bring retreats down there and bring people and make it make it a thing because I we just want to support the women and the, the more we can bring even like tourism down or spread the word of what we're doing and and see like the process of where your product comes from or your hat comes from. Um, I just think it's really important. We call them origin trips. And then everybody on the trip gets a hat and it's super fun. I mean, you basically get to play in the Sacred Valley and there's always, because it's a Laura Greer trip, there's always going to be some sort of hike or adventure or crazy off the beaten path kind of thing. Like sometimes we might even stay in a homestay with an artisan like for the night and like have dinner with their family and things like that. So there's always going to be a level of adventure. That's amazing. I've never been to Peru. I would love to go. That's- oh my God, you need to come. I would love to. So that's on your the site as well, the Andy and a Hat site. Yeah, we haven't um, announced which dates yet uh, we're doing, but we're definitely going to go at least twice this year with bringing a group and um, for sure in the fall. And then we're just right now is like a is a tricky time to set the spring date. So we might do Guatemala in the spring and then do like two fall trips to Peru. And what's a, is that a good time of year to go as far as weather? Yeah. But the Sacred Valley is, is kind of um, there's not really like seasons it's more like hot or not hot it's more like dry and wet a little bit they have just kind of two seasons there okay the photos are just so incredible I mean you're an incredible photographer but they're just so beautiful and colorful and just it's so lush there it seems like um it is it's I think it's one of the most beautiful mountains I've ever seen and every time I there's like a road that you drive out of Cusco and you just drop into the valley and it's just every time you get to the point where the road drops in you're just like oh, you know this view it, it still gets me every time even though I've done it so many times it's just one of my favorite um places to go and I mean the Inca the Quechua people believe that mountains are apus or gods so um they're the closest thing to the sky. They're powerful. They know all their names. They pray to them every day, um, like, you know, make offerings. And um, I just think it's, they are, and I can understand why they believe that they're just so majestic and huge and beautiful. That's amazing. We have some beautiful mountains here. You know, when I was little, I grew up in Los Angeles. And when I was little, I used to think mountains were where giants were buried. And I guess I thought they were not buried underground, but above ground. And then the mountains were them being buried. <laughs> oh, I love that idea there. I don't know where I got that from, but yeah. Yeah. So but I we love. don't really, I mean, do we really know a lot about the names of our mountains around us? That was the thing so. that they were, you know, they, they were teaching us how they make offerings at Pachamama and they were like pouring out some of their drink to all the different mountains and, and aiming their body towards them and saying a prayer. And then they're like, your turn, you do it for your mountains. I was like, uh, Apu. Santa Monica, Santa Monica mountains, right? Uh, I was like, Apu, Whitney, I guess I, I was like, I really just, I don't know our mountain names. And they were shocked. They were like, what? You don't know the names of the mountains around you? I'm like, okay, so we're not as connected as we should be. I uh, will work on that. So um, yeah, I don't know the names of the mountains around us. Like Mammoth Mountain, maybe like the ski mountains. Like, I don't know the names of the mountains. Big Bear, is that a mountain? <laughs> is that a mountain? I don't know. I really don't know. It's terrible. I really, yeah, I don't know either. But no, I mean, for me, like, it's funny because when I started photography, like a young age, I was 13 when I was really interested in it. I always just saw it as a tool for adventure and travel. Like for me, it, I never knew I was, I didn't know that I had the passion for it until I started really learning how to take photos in college and stuff like that. But I knew that I enjoyed doing it because it allowed me to kind of get into uncomfortable places or do fun things with my friends or go on this trip or, um, I don't know, make 
make people happy through the imagery or to be on an adventure. And so it was always sort of like a tool for that. And then I fell in love with the craft itself, but it's, you know, and I still think it is, it's still a tool to do all these things that hat businesses and whatever else is going to come my way, you know? And now of course, with social media, all those beautiful photos can be displayed and on the tours with people, I'm sure they get great photos from the trip as well. Yeah, they do. We have some great ones of our like recent women's trip and, um, yeah, honestly, like to, to me, I could go on and on and on about Sacred Valley. And I am going to be also leading other trips. Like I think we'll be doing um, and separately for my photography. Like I always do adventure trips. Like last year, we did a women's group climb up Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, this time last year, actually, we did safari in Kenya and then Kilimanjaro. So this year, I want to do Madagascar probably in June. So that's going to be another upcoming trip I will be leading. Wow, that's yeah. a big under. Have you done that before? No, I've never even been. So right now trying to plan a trip somewhere I've never been. Like I, I'm working with the same Africa tour operator that I did for Kilimanjaro because he was so fantastic um, that I totally trust him to put this together. But, you know, other than watching the Madagascar cartoon, I'm like, and I know about the Baobabs and the lemurs, but I'm like, okay, wait, I, uh, there's way more to it than that. But um, I, it's, it keeps on coming up to me. Like I, I'll see a documentary about it, or I'll hear it, or I feel like the name Madagascar is has been in my in my wheelhouse for the last year or so. And I'm like, I, I that's it. I have to go there. Like it's, I'm meant to go there. Keep getting a reminder that it's meant to be. So I have this other intention band as well. This one is the oh, that's the connection one. So that band, um, the image, the design are the branches of the tree of life. They believe like the roots go into the underworld, which also represents past, and the trunk of the tree is in the present or um, earth, and then the branches are in the future or heaven, and so the tree of life can literally connects all the realms of spirituality it connects past present future it's all the same so it's like life and death and yin yang and all that kind of stuff so that's the connection man i really love that one too i mean I, it was hard to pick that's why both and um but the nice thing is that they are versatile so you yeah, can that's the beauty you don't have to pick you just take it off and then switch it out whenever you're feeling it yeah it is great to switch it out that one looks really good on you too that color yeah and then you know depending on what you're wearing it can be color coded to match a little animals if people know that <laughs> you know so you have this mission with these global artisans and you know really helping to enable them to help support themselves and their communities and i think that's just so special and in addition there's this whole sustainability aspect of it and this consciousness to it and that's just part of their culture right um, yeah i mean it's my favorite the whole reason why I'm connected to them is I, I think all of my travels around the world over the last 20 something years of being a photojournalist, I, I, I can't really subscribe to just one religious belief. I sort of believe in all of them. And, um, I, I, if I believe in one, that means that five other ones are wrong. Right. So I just feel like I believe in all of them. And I think that's sort of the culture that they have. They're not a religious culture. I mean, yeah, they believe and like, you know, Jesus and they have churches and stuff because of the Spaniards influence and stuff. But in general, their spirituality is just be good to nature, be in communion with nature, appreciate it, honor it. You know, um, before you climb a mountain, you ask permission of the mountain, you know, before you till a field and farming, you ask the permission of the soil and you thank Mother Earth for like all of the fruit and the nourishment she provides and you know you bless the rain and like all the things so they're they're just very in tune and they know like the weather and the and the 
the cycles and the stars and like all of that information they're very tapped into. And so I think I feel so much more connected when I'm down there. You just are, you're just more present and you're more connected. And um, they're just a very kind spiritual people. But one of the things I really loved about when we started this hat company, my girlfriend, Pats and I were like, well, how do we like make this, a, you know, we're going through all this trouble to bring these hats to the US and it's not cheap. It's not easy, you know, to place orders with indigenous groups that live in remote villages with no written language, you know, like it's not easy. And so we want, we're like, what's going to differentiate our hats? So we really wanted to bring their idea, like their culture and their spirituality and everything into the hat. So when the bands came to be, it was because we had spoken with um, the different communities and they not only did the bands have meanings and it was also their woven language, which is we're helping to preserve their language by having them on the hats, but the placement, like, like your hat is really spiritual and powerful. Like it covers your third eye chakra. It covers your crown chakra. It's the last barrier, I guess, or connection even between you and source. And they believe that they believe that your hat's a very powerful symbol between you and source energy. And that what you put on your hat is what you're putting out there in the universe. And that's what the Quechua culture believes. And I just thought that was so beautiful. I'm like, wow, I'd love to bring that idea of intention and spirituality, not only into our brand, but just into like all of our Western busy complicated lives back here at home where we're just you know rushing 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 and i'm like rushing and doing meetings while i'm going to yoga and like you know talking the phone and drinking my coffee and doing a million things and texting and like and just have that moment where you know you like you just said like oh i can switch out my intentions and my hats and it makes you think about it for a second before you put it on and it is this like energetically powerful thing that you're putting on your head that was handcrafted in the sacred valley and i don't know we just wanted to bring a little bit of that connection and thought into people's lives here in the u.s and I, wherever i just love that what a beautiful way to live that they live with one with nature and and mama earth and that's definitely uh my belief as well and so i yeah i like to take different aspects from you know different religions because there's things that work with all of them and mm -hmm to have that intention band. So do they do other things than just bands? I'm not necessarily for you, but do they make, I don't know, intention blankets or scarves? Do they do other things with these we, types? I don't think they think of it as like a, we are setting our intention. That's just everything they do has intention. And the how they decorate their hat is very powerful and has intention. And it says a lot about who they are. So we just coined it intention band um, because we're trying to make us Westerners understand that everything they do has intention, you know? And so that's, um, you know, these aren't just like, that's just thoughts. who they are and yeah. what they do. And yeah. we have to think about it a little bit more, but that's yeah. okay. We're getting there. Yeah. We're, we're moving. <laughs> I think I read, did you have something that you said, like the Quechua language is an oral language and not a written language? Yeah. Or, so this it's, helps keep the weaving alive. Yeah, oh, it does. Exactly. So, um, Basically, it's a woven in an oral language. And yes, can you now type it on Google Translate? You can, but that's because they just assigned phonetically, you know, our alphabet to the words. But there was never, like back in the day, there was never a written language of their words. Um, they're just now writing it out phonetically so people can have signs and people can, you know, accept it as a language. But for centuries, it was always just spoken word and tapestries. Amazing. What incredible history. I want to, I want to meet these people. I want to meet these beautiful people. I was doing a meditation today, which I thought was so perfect. And 
uh, there's always a topic that it is. And they're short. I, I, I just do them quickly just to kind of check in, you know. And so today's was tender heart. And so some of the what was said during it was our lives are to explore, to share, to connect, to serve, to open our hearts to the world. Connect with your values, your integrity, what matters to you. What is your motivation and what is the intention of your tender heart? And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be talking to Laura Greer. That's just like exactly what, that's what this is. Oh my God. That's, can you please send that to me? Because that is so crazy. I I also have been part of doing like the Deepak Chopra abundance journey. Yes. 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 Is that what you're doing? Well, this is how I found it. I did that abundance journey, which I've done it a few times and I wanted to lead a group doing it this year as well. Oh, you Um, should. It's so good. I mean, I love it. I'm still in the middle. I'm like smack in the middle. I'm like day 12 right now, but um, one of the journal prompts that they had today was like, what is your greatest intention in life? And um, what do you do towards it? You know, and um, literally half of the words you just said were it. I was like to explore, to teach, to learn, to inspire, to, um, you know, create beauty, to um, connect people. Like literally half of what you just said was like what I wrote as my life intention. And like, they're like, how do you do it? I'm like building community, going on trips, you know, doing all these things. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but I, you know, it's weird when you have to be asked that question, because I feel like I never really sat down and had to formulate it on paper before. It's a great, you know, practice to do. It is. I really enjoyed it. I did it, I think for sure two times and then started to lead a group. Yeah. So I want to do it again. But funny you said that because from doing that, I got the Chopra app, which I spoke about in a previous podcast, and it's the app. It's a daily practice and it's quick. I know I should probably be meditating longer, like 20 minutes at least, but I'd rather do something than nothing. And so these are anywhere from like seven to nine to 13 minutes. And that was today's. It was like a little bit over nine minutes. And um, I thought that's just so perfect. So that's I love it. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh please send that to me because I, I, I think that was I want to see how close that was to my journal entry and I love that and that makes me feel like I'm being authentic if, if you thought of me with those words too because I swear I wrote those words down today absolutely you're so passionate and you're so you know driven can be thought of as a negative sometimes but you're driven in just such like a effervescent way like you're just you you want to help and you want to you know have community and keep the culture going and help these women, um, you know, you know, elevate them. And it's just, it's just, it's just wonderful. And somebody could go buy, you know, a cheap little $10 hat, which uh, who knows where it was made or who made it or what their situation was. And this one has just so much more meaning. And yes, you know, it does cost a little bit more, but listen to the whole history of the story that we're talking about. It's amazing. So you've got this hat. And then the nice thing is, is you can change the band. So if you think, oh, well, I need, it's not going to match what I'm wearing or whatever somebody might think, you know, you can get the additional bands and then just switch them out. And it's like giving you hat each time. And I've always been a hat girl. So I have pictures of me when I was like two years old, four years old, I always had a hat on. So you know, I, I love hats. So this is, this I love is it. No, that one looks really good on you. And I love that you're rocking it out. And it it is, you know, it is special. It's funny because some people, I feel like we're in the good price range where we're not like too outrageously expensive for how handmade it is. Yes. But a lot of people, it, it is about education because I'll be at a pop-up and people will come up and be like, Oh my God, it's not like 40 or 50 bucks. It's like $200. And, and it's like, yeah, these weren't, you know, made in China and mass produced. These are all hand shaped and handmade. I mean, if you go to Jackson Hole or 
or to Aspen, like Kimosabe or something you're paying or any really r- real Western hat store where they're hand shaping them, like you're spending a thousand dollars on a Stetson or something like that. So th- like these hats should be a thousand dollars, like they're that handmade, but um, they're not. So I, I feel that we're in a really good range. I didn't want to be obnoxious about our pricing, you know? Yeah. No, they're uh, beautiful. And they, they, you know, they, they, they look, they have quality. And for those people who are into the whole Stetson, I'm sure Yellowstone has brought that whole genre forward. And uh I'm sure people will pay that for those. I mean, there's obsessed people with that show. (laughs) Well, anytime. And, you know, and I've been doing like these women's groups and, and doing photo shoots for people and like headshots. And I always do my goddess shoots for people where I bring, you know, I, I, I let What's you. What's a goddess shoot? Oh, you haven't heard about my goddess shoot? No, I have not. Um, I, I will be posting a bunch of those on my website very soon. And like my new site's about to launch this week. But um, basically it started, it's become like a thing now where um, usually it's a dramatic outfit or numerous outfits. And we go out to some, epic location and shoot these like extremely long trains or just very dramatic portraits. Um, They're just ethereal. And I call them goddess shoots because a lot of them started out being, you know, they were milestone birthdays, like I'm turning 50 and I don't feel attractive or whatever. And we're like, oh no, we're bringing out your inner goddess. We're going to have like a full, you know, makeup wardrobe like adventure shoot we might have to like hike to where we're going or like whatever and um we always just do these epic shoots like we've done them in death valley or in the desert or out in um foreign countries or peru or sri lanka or wherever and um burning man like whatever it is and so i i started doing these goddess shoots where it's basically like allowing women to kind of break free and feel like feminine and beautiful and whatever age they are. And so now I've had a lot of jealous men being like, well, are you going to offer any, like, I'm like, what God shoots? I'm definitely not calling it that. Okay. First of all. Um, but I was like, maybe why not? You could be, you and your guys could like get a group together and start doing it. It really started because I was doing it on girls trips. I'd go on a girls trip. We'd all pick a theme and do an epic photo shoot to commemorate the girls trip. And then it now has turned into like an actual thing. Like I'm being hired and and flown around to do goddess shoots, which I'm super okay with. I think it's great. That is incredible. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. You're so vivacious and it's so exciting. And I just, I just love it. I mean, that's fantastic. You know, when you were talking about that, I was thinking my fiance in my phone is not under his name. His, when it, when he calls, it comes up as sexy mofo. <laughs> and he has me in his phone as Tiffany Page. And then I make that Tiffany Page. <laughs> I'm like, why can I not be in there as like goddess, right? So I yeah. thought, goddess, I guess that wouldn't really work as sexy mofo, but <laughs> it's better Maybe than like having Empress. the guys as God. <laughs> I know, right? I was, I'd have to think about what I would coin the men, men's shoots as, but I'm like, until a group of men or a man wants to come and do a shoot like that, I, you know, I got to think about that one. But for me, it's just so much easier to, and more fun to do it with women because I don't know. Like I haven't even really done a real goddess shoot for myself. I've done a few funky portraits. Like that was what we did our entire hike up Kilimanjaro last year was each woman. Wait, did I, I think I showed you pictures of this, but basically we had eight women and it was eight days to climb Kilimanjaro. So I thought, oh my gosh, I wanted to do a portrait of each woman on every day. Like we would assign which day was a woman. And it could be whatever outfit you want to wear. You choose it. You can be naked if you wanted, which one chick almost was. And <laughs> um, and so basically our thing was that whatever day it was, like let's say my day was day two, whenever I felt inspired that day, 
and whatever point of the journey we're hiking, I would say, this is where I want to do my shoot. And all the rest of us, one, like all had jobs. Somebody had to like time it. We gave ourselves 30 minutes because we couldn't like veer off our, our time to make it before dark and stuff. So we had 30 minutes. One person would be like wardrobe. One would help her like get dressed. One would help her do her hair stuff. One would do this. One would hold the light. One would do like the behind the scenes video. Like we all had roles that we had decided that day. And it didn't matter how upset or hurt or like whatever you were feeling in that moment, you had to support that woman that day when she decided this is when I'm inspired. And so it was really fun because it broke up the, the hiking because it's a the lot monotonous of, of the right. hike. And you're like, you know, haven't showered for days. You're not feeling great. And it made you have a moment where you felt really beautiful, um, where you were supported by like all these women um, and you're getting these epic images, but it was like, I mean, we were just laughing and talking about it for like hours afterward. It made like the hiking fly by, but it was so funny because we had so much fun doing these shoots every day that, um, you know, there are times that there would be like these groups of men that were like miserable in the rain, like hiking from like Europe and they would turn the corner we'd all be like half naked like doing a full fashion shoot halfway up Kilimanjaro and I mean we were we were like <laughs> what the actual f is happening and so it was funny because no one I can guarantee that no one has the pictures that we have hiking up Kilimanjaro ever or ever will and um you know we have obviously like the dirty hiking pictures that everyone else has but we also have these insanely beautiful portraits uh every level of the climb, I mean, the bottom is rainforest, and then you get into forest, you get into alpine and meadow, and then you get into volcanic, and then you get into arid desert, and then you get into the top, which is Arctic. And it's like, so it doesn't even look like you're on the same trip. Every single picture is so vastly different. And so it was really, really cool. And um, everyone had a completely different experience with it, like getting out of their comfort zone, being supported. Like I was feeling sick, right? I felt like I couldn't go any further. And it like, helped me go on. And it was really cool, like the camaraderie that it created. So I was like, I'm going to do goddess shoots from now on, like all my trips, like, why not? It's perfect. <laughs> and, and what, and you learn a new skill as well, if they're doing yeah. something that they hadn't done before. Yeah. I don't know if I see guys doing that the same way, as far as, you know, being as free, maybe with how they're posed. I don't know. I, I just, don't really I mean, they the could, maybe it'd be a little bit more like, you know, maybe it's more feminine. I mean, it could be more of a masculine, like album cover gladiator. Maybe I'll call them gladiator shoots. Like, I don't even know something like that where it's a little, that could work. That was a popular movie, right? Yeah. That's so funny. I love it. Well, I need to go on one of these trips. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go, well, all of it is at Indiana hats, A N D E A N A hats.com. And this is Laura Greer. So fun talking to you. And so nice to see yeah. your face. I haven't seen you in a while. I know. Yeah. Likewise, you'll have to come to some of our, our fun gatherings. And um, if you guys starting this week, like right now, my website is up, but the new version of lauragreer.com, which is all of my photography, my goddess shoots and all those things, um, that will be up this week as well. So if you want to see some of the images from Kilimanjaro I was just talking about, they're in the photo stories section of that website. Oh, fantastic. For sure. I'll add that into the, the show notes for people as well. And socials, of course, Indiana Hats, you're out there all over Instagram, any other sites? Or yeah, my, my main personal Instagram is Laura Greer Travel. Um, and then my wedding photography one is Beautiful Day Wedding Photo. Yes. Okay. That's a lot to keep up with. <laughs> oh, girl, I know. And then I'm starting a nonprofit on top of it. And my, my, to the point where my lawyer was like, um, are you sure you want to do this? Like, why? Like, why? Um, so, yes, I'm keeping myself busy. But, 
yeah, I'm excited. Very impressive. And how often do you see your partner uh, in Peru? Um, you know, we probably see each other like twice down there and twice up here, probably like four times a year quarterly. We're trying to make it a little bit more than that, but you know, it's just hard and people, you know, we, we each do the other's roles that we can't do. So it's, it's actually more important for her to be down there, even though I wish I could clone her and have her up here helping me with all the pop-ups and things. Right. Of course. Well, so something that I do at the end of every chat is three tips that you can offer the listeners of things that they can do um, in their daily life or something to incorporate based on what it is that you do. And obviously you do a lot. So what you got? Oh my gosh. Uh, tips. Well, are you sustainable tips, I guess. Um, obviously. And I think I just learned this from, from my travels is, you know, bringing, being like self-reliant, it's sort of like the burning man mantra too, where it's radical self-reliance. So like have your own things that you need, like your own utensils for water and like your own bags that carry things. And you're just, you know, have all of the things you need, um, and not have to use all the plastic and the things all the time. I think that's a good one. I think one um, is honestly just research the companies where you're buying from. We have not the ability to do that now. And I think, you know, we all have, like, we can be conscious shoppers, you know, we don't, um, there, there are companies out there that are really working hard to, to push the needle a little bit, and you have to push the needle on the ground in a lot of these remote places. And let me just tell you, it is not easy to start a business with artisans and but there are a lot of people that are doing what I'm doing and it's really I, I love when I find other people because I'm like oh you you get it okay okay you get because it's a lot of work but it is rewarding and, and at the times where I feel really overwhelmed when I go back down to Peru or Guatemala and I'm, I'm meeting with artisans I'm like oh this is why I'm doing it so I think just being aware that you know when you buy a product that's handmade you're really really positively impacting a lot of people, especially women and their families, and way more so than a big company that's probably using really bad labor practices. And like, yeah, you might get it the next day on Amazon, but um, like, how are you negatively impacting the environment through that choice of just like needing it right now, you know? So if you're allowing yourself to have a little bit less fast fashion, I think that's important. I think just try to cut out fast fashion. I'm guilty of all of my 20s buying Forever 21. I was obsessed with Forever 21. Until I found out that half their clothes got burned or end up in landfills and choking our environment and, you know, using children, child labor and stuff like that. And I just think that we all can be more conscious with where we get our products. So that's a good and one. yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. We all, and I know it's overwhelming, but like you have to, everyone has to push the needle a little bit, you know, and it, and it does make a difference. It really, really does. And What's another one? Um, I love clothing swaps with my girlfriends. Uh, so I, instead of buying new clothes all the time, do a clothing swap with your girlfriends. So and fun. Like, yeah, it's a, it's really fun. You just have a party and everyone brings stuff over and you swap it out. And then you feel like you just went on a shopping spree and it's kind of awesome. It is. I've loved doing those. You know, I used to do those before COVID. And then of course, nobody really, you know, wanted to do it during COVID, even if you did yeah. it outside, they're like, oh, I don't want to touch that or, you know, so yeah. they kind of uh, died out, but I think we could make those come back now. Yeah. I do have a lot of clothes. I have, I mean, I just get clothes. I, you know, I, yes, I purchased a lot of clothes and I do keep my clothes. I mean, yeah. I can wait for something to come back around in style and I still have them. So nothing does go to the landfill, but you know, now I'm on my kick of, uh, you know, 
buying less. When I was young, it was kind of like yeah. you, like it was quantity over quality. Yeah. And now it's quality over quantity. And so I really appreciate, you know, something that's handmade. And I think that's the big deal. And what, you know, some of these other companies might be doing and, and there's that greenwashing involved. And so that's why I want to highlight, you know, a company like yours and you get to learn about the founder and why they're doing it and why it's important to them and about, you know, the culture of the people that are making the hat. So uh, there's a lot of ways you can do that. So, and you can do it while having fun and looking good, you know, like it's funny, you don't have to, you know, go build like a brick building and some far flung place to, to give back. You can actually go on a really fun trip and buy a really beautiful product and you're doing good by doing that. So I think, you know, we need to change the idea of like what quote unquote charity you're doing good is it's not always like a, like a sacrifice you have to make or something. So um, I think like all of my travel workshops for photography that I lead all give back in a certain way. I always build in either an activity or a fund that we, you know, everyone's fee goes to or something where when by the act of traveling there, you are leaving that place better than it started. And I just think that that was always like when I turned 40, I decided my 40s were going to be intentional. And so every trip I go on, every thing that I plan, every work project, every company, whatever it is, like there had to be some sort of good that it was doing as well as being really fun. Don't get me wrong. All of, it's all based around like fun and adventure and stuff too, but you can do all of it. You can do it all at the same time. So great. Well, thank you, Laura Greer. You're like fun in a box. It's so fun. I want, I want to go on one of these trips. So it's Andy and a Hats. This is Laura Greer. And if you'd like to check out Andy and a Hats, Laura is going to offer $25 off for the month from the time it airs. So probably around the, till the end of February. So I'll have that. Yeah. Till my birthday, February 26th. So everyone gets $25 off and the code is green T and the letter T. So just green T. All right. And then February 26th, the Pisces birthday. So very exciting. And I thank you for joining us. I thank you for choosing to care and much success to you on all your endeavors. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tiffany. Thank you. And you can find me on Instagram at Green with Tiffany. And if you'd like to reach out and let us know what you think of these beautiful hats, uh, this will be posted and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to me. You can find me at greenwithtiffany.com and on Instagram. Till next time, choose to care.